Welcome to the Enlighten Up Podcast, where I am going to take you into a deep exploration of what it means to exist in this current reality. We are going to raise your vibes, open your mind, expand your heart, and dive deep into the wondrous mysteries and possibilities of this lifetime. There's been a spiritual catalyst that has set in motion the awakening process of many across the globe to return to the knowingness of self and unite what has been separated. Together, we're going to bring light into that darkness. We're going to remember the joy of living. But most of all, we're going to turn up the volume of our own eternal power and do the thing we're here to do. Welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. I'm happy to be back here with you again. And today I have a brand new guest to the show. I know you guys are going to love her. She's definitely going to bring a good blend of practicality and spirituality because Kate Manser is a spiritual leader and inspiring and visionary artist, author, and speaker. And she's going to challenge you to live your most alive life. She's written a book called You Might Die Tomorrow, which has sold thousands of copies in six countries. And she's currently working on her second book, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Kate, welcome to the show. So great to have you here. What's going on in your little vibrational bubble over there right now? Well, you know, I think one thing I've learned and many people listening to this, and I'm sure you maybe can relate, which is like, just because you have an awakening once in your life or twice in your life, doesn't mean we don't have 2000 awakenings still to come. (laughs) And so as much as I talk about living alive and feeling alive and trying to wake up every morning and be like, oh my gosh, I got another day. I still get caught up in the washing machine of life every day and I get caught up in the BS and the stress and all of that. And, and so I come humbly to you as a student of this message. Well, I think, you know, I I love that you say that because I think the best teachers are the ones who still claim to be students because if you don't, then I think that's a huge red flag. <laughs> right. The ones that, that say they have it all figured out yes. are definitely the ones that don't. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so my favorite, I don't know if I'm allowed to, to swear on this show, but one of my most freeing statements that I've tr- been trying to live by for uh, like seven or eight years now is I don't know shit. Yeah. Like when I say that, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. Like I'm just, I'm just a student. I'm learning. And it's, it's, it takes a weight off our shoulders when we realize that we don't have to act like we have it all together because pretty much nobody does. I completely agree. And I found that actually my journey becomes a lot more interesting and a lot more fun. The more I realize I don't know very much at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. And it also frees you up to see things in new ways and broaden your horizons and also be in a place where maybe some of the things that you thought you believed in are not all what you believe in so much anymore. And it could just be an evolution of that belief. Or I've had even somewhere I'm like, you know what, that just doesn't sit with me anymore. So I think having yourself remain open and curious and always willing to learn is always a good sign. And uh, one that I think any kind of journey should be approached with, but especially the spiritual journey. 
Oh, one of my most favorite sensations in life is dumbstruck, right? Like that moment when something that you thought was true, you can see from a new perspective and you realize that something else actually makes far more sense. And you're just so dumbstruck by it and humbled by not realizing that you didn't know something that you thought you knew. Mm -hmm. It's just such a beautiful way to realize that, yeah, like we said, we don't have it all together and that's okay. That there's always new perspectives and new ways of doing things. And that the world is this diamond with billions and numbers that I'm sure I can't even say big enough, like of facets to learn and to explore. And that just makes me feel really excited to wake up every day and learn what other stuff that I don't know. Yeah. I feel like we're okay. So this is something I've talked about with my audience uh, recently, especially over the summer, because it just feels like a lot of people are going through this is it really feels like many of us are going through a whole new cycle of death and rebirth right now. And there's a lot kind of happening, even just energetically. There just seems to be a lot pushing us into areas that have been so foreign to us and really calling upon us to really cross these new frontiers that we've never crossed before, even though we may have been feeling that call or that need to really push ourselves there. There's a lot of fear that can come up. Something that I know your, your journey is very well acquainted with is this idea of death and rebirth. And you've experienced a lot of loss in a very short period of time that I, I might be wrong, but was kind of like the catalyst for your big spiritual awakening, at least one of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And for anyone who's listening today, we are going to be inviting you. I'm going to be inviting you to think about death and rebirth and in particular looking at our mortality as a source of motivation, which might be a new perspective for a lot of us. And uh, a friend recently, I was talking about, oh, you know, being pushed out of our comfort zone. And she's like, no, we don't push one another out of our comfort zone. That's not, well, we could, but what's far more probable to, uh, you know, bring people in is to invite one another out, out of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to invite all of us out of our comfort zone to explore this idea that I learned and that I did not come up with, right? Like we have to say it first and foremost, that when I had this awakening, that death is like the key to breaking through decision paralysis and procrastination. And it's the key to seeing what's really important. And it's the key to creating an urgency. And it's the key to feeling motivated to take chances and risks and slow down and enjoy our lives. Mm -hmm. That I am not the first person. Um, but when I when when it happened, and we'll talk a little bit about the moment that it happened for me, uh, I thought that it was that I was the first person because no one had ever offered that perspective to me. And so I started Googling like death as the greatest motivation. And the first thing that I came across was Steve Jobs. 2005 commencement speech. And, you know, the main quote from that speech that just really hit me and helped me give the framework for what I was feeling is this. And it is remembering I'll be dead soon is the greatest motivation I have ever encountered to making tough choices in life. Mm -hmm. And he said that death 
removes our the blocks. It takes away our fear. It takes away our pride and it leaves us naked. And it reminds us that there's no reason not to follow our heart. And if you're interested, that's a beautiful speech to listen to in its entirety. And long before myself, long before Steve Jobs, this goes back to ancient philosophers and ancient Christian uh, Christians, ancient Buddhists. So we'll get into all that. Yeah, no. And I, you're right. I think death can be a beautiful motivator. Uh, it's what you said there too, about this idea of maybe being invited outside of the comfort zone. I think one of the, which I love, I love that idea. What I think one of the problems is, is that we haven't defined or given a little bit more of an enticing and exciting invitational name to this space, this massive space that is outside of our comfort zone. Like, I feel like if we called it, oh, leave the comfort zone and step into the exciting zone, or I don't know, something (laughs) along those lines, because truly there's not much exciting things going on in the comfort zone because it's your rituals, it's your habits, it's your day to day. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is a need to, it has a place in our life. But one of the things that I think why people struggle to really kind of step outside their comfort zone more often than they really should is because I believe that we have a very distorted relationship with what safety actually is. And because, and this stems from like a lot of my work that I've done with my clients from inner child work and understanding, even through my own healing journey, is that when you have a distorted relationship or idea or version of what safety actually means, because you don't truly feel safe because it's very distorted. So for instance, um, you know, my dad was always um, working because he was the sole breadwinner of the family. My mom had to raise four kids. And so he was never home. Um, And so I would find safety with men who were never available to me. And it had to be something that I realized that's not a good version of safety to have because I'm truly never going to feel safe. But I, in my, my inner child's mind, that's safe because that's what I know. And so when we start to understand that what feels safe is just the familiar and just because it's familiar, doesn't mean it's necessarily good for you is that when we start to change our relationship with what safety is, and we start to build that safety within us, it gives us the, I think the power and determination and courage to maybe then step outside of that comfort zone and really go for what excites us in life. Mm. That's so beautiful and and beautiful that you had that awareness. And I'm sure over time, we're able to take steps to step and invite yourself out of that, out of that familiar, out of that comfort zone that you knew was toxic for you. And I'm sure you were stepping into something that was also scary, right? Like it can be scary. And that's, I think you said a beautiful thing, which is being more intentional about our definition of, of stepping outside the comfort zone. Like it doesn't always mean skydiving, right? It can be something that can be terrifying, can be being in a healthy relationship. Yes. For some of us, that can be really scary. If you grew up in a chaotic household and then being in a relationship that's very calm and loving, that can be terrifying. It can. And it can, it can, it can be terrifying to people who don't know what love is and finally start to feel love for the first time. It's why so many of them run away from it because <laughs> exactly. it scares the crap out of them, you know, because yeah. it's not safe. It's not familiar. And so, um, this, I think that's the whole idea around safety and stepping outside your comfort zone is a very big topic, but 
you, this idea of you, you really stepped outside your comfort zone when you were kind of in a way forced to, like, there was such a huge epiphany that came. Can you take my audience through what kind of happened over like a six month period that then was the catalyst for a huge transformation for you? Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. So well, I just turned 38 and when I was 28, so 10 years ago, I was just going along life. I thought that I had climbed the mountains that I was supposed to have climbed. I had uh, gotten uh, graduated college. I had gotten a husband. I had gotten a dog. I had bought a house. I had a cool job working at Google. And in the span of one year, I had three friends die in just unrelated, unexpected events, right? Like, and they all happened to be around my same age. And so as that happened, right, like, you know, the first one was in June and then the next one was in November and then the next one, uh, I think in December, it really just took away the safety of my life because I was 28, right? Like I'm going, checking off the boxes, following the blueprint. And maybe some of you can identify with, you haven't really thought too much about death. Uh, And that was where I was at that time. And so when I had several people around me die, I became the opposite of never thinking about death. I became obsessed with it to a very unhealthy level where I was suddenly thinking that death could take me at any moment. And maybe some of you can relate to maybe some slightly unhinged Google search bar doctor uh, (laughs) searches. Maybe you're searching about some uh, diseases that you probably don't have too often. I was doing a lot of that. I was also afraid of driving because I thought that I was going to hit somebody or fly off the edge of the overpass. And, you know, when the phone call would ring unexpectedly, I would think, oh, this is the call that someone in my family has passed away. So maybe some of you have gone through periods of your life where you had a heightened awareness and fear of death. And I lived in that for a year and it was horrible. It it got to the point that I didn't want to take any risks because I was afraid that death was lurking for me around every corner. And counterintuitively, what popped me out of that death anxiety was, um, you know, while I was going through that year of being obsessed with and afraid of death. I also was fangirling a friend of mine. He's a, was a colleague of mine at Google, super tall, good looking, blonde, like very fun loving guy. He dated a celebrity. He opened up a cool side hustle. He was training for his third attempt up Mount Everest. And I'm just like watching him on social media being like, he's living the life that I am way too terrified to ever live. And so unfortunately, what happened was when he summited Mount Everest, when he was attempting his third summit of Mount Everest, that was the day that the Nepal earthquake struck in 2015. And he was killed instantly by an avalanche. And, you know, I had been living in fear and fangirling over someone who was living his most vibrant and adventurous life who then died. And he was, I believe, 35 years old. And at that moment, of course, at first I was really angry at him because you don't have to climb Everest. (laughs) None of us have to climb Everest. It's not like a compulsory thing that anyone has to do. So at first I was really mad. Like, why did you do this thing? Because he wasn't just inspiration for me. He was inspiration for so many people. And soon that anger faded when I realized that, no, it wasn't required to climb Mount Everest, but that that was something that he had to do to live his expression of his most vibrant life. And here I was afraid to drive a car and afraid to, you know, walk across the street. And then here was Dan who had the courage to risk everything to live his most vibrant life when really 
we all can die at any moment, whether we climb Mount Everest or stay inside of our houses. Let's be real. I'm pretty klutzy. I could probably die climbing the stairs, let alone Mount Everest. And yeah. so that was when I realized that we all have a limited amount of time and energy in our lives. And I had spent mine for that year, putting all of my time and energy into trying not to die. And here was Dan who put all his energy into living and we both could have died at any moment. And so that was when I realized that I had to put my energy into living. I wanted to put my energy and time into, into living rather than trying not to die. And I also realized that when I really internalized that and it was like, oh my gosh, the most scary thing for me was, oh my God, I might die tomorrow. But then in the hours after Dan died and I had this awakening, this realization, like, yeah, I might die tomorrow. You might die tomorrow. Anybody might die tomorrow. Do I want to spend potentially my last day being afraid and being scared? Or do I want to open up to the fullness of life and put that time and energy into living? And that was when I realized that the idea that I might die tomorrow was not only a fact of life, it was freeing. Mm. It opened my eyes to clarity. Like Steve Jobs said, it took away a lot of my fears. It took away a lot of my pride. It took away a lot of my obsession with reaching a societal societal definition of success. And that began this journey that I'm still on. I'm still messing up every day. I'm still learning to put my time and energy into living, to feel profoundly grateful for every moment that we get to be alive and to share that message with as many people as I can. Well, I think one of the, I mean, anyone that's been interviewed, you know, towards the end of their life, when perhaps they're even on their deathbed, the biggest regret that anyone will say they had was what they didn't do, not what they did do. And I think that, you know, you kind of shifting your perspective on how you initially felt about the whole situation of him, him kind of passing away, doing what he clearly loved is that he died living. And I, there was this quote that I said that I, um, I found, and I did a reel on this last summer. I'm going to totally screw it up right now, <laughs> but it was along the lines of when death finds you, may it find you alive. Mm. Oh my gosh. When death finds you, may it find you alive. And I think how sad would it be if death found you and you were already dead inside, you know, like, and so I think that's like some African proverb or something like that. But I truly see so many people living from that way where they're, if death were to find them, it's not that they were already dead, but they're kind of not beaten their pulse isn't beaten at a rate that it could be and it to me it's a disservice to the gift that we're given in this lifetime mm -hmm. exactly every day uh, I truly try when I wake up to really just look around and be like oh my gosh I got another day right like to really relish in that gift because again just like i said at the beginning i'm still a student of this and i still get caught up it's it's almost like part of the lesson of being alive is learning how to feel alive in the in our everyday life yeah. which is both magical right like, like look at the sky right now look at a leaf look at your dog's eyes right and and you can see that beauty but there's also there is some ugliness in life there's a lot of 
stuff that we don't want to deal with. We have responsibilities. We've got stresses. But part to me, the part of enlightenment uh, in that we can work on attaining in our life is learning how to stay awake to the beauty of being alive while also just being being alive in, you know, the things that we have to do. And it's something that I'm still learning every single day. Yeah. And I think that happiness is a, is a, is a choice, you know, it's a state of being that you choose to, cause you could, you could choose to just be angry, you know, and it doesn't matter how like amazing things are maybe going on in your life or what's happening around you. If you're really not having it, you know, you, you could just choose to be angry. And one of the things that has the, I, um, cause I live in Colorado. So I love psilocybin. And one of the things that, um, through some of my own personal journeys that I, um, have taken with them is really opening up to me how much I'm not experiencing the little details of life at the level that I could, for instance, just eating some, like a piece of fruit, yeah. you know, everything, obviously your, your senses are heightened, um, with, uh, psilocybin, but it's clearly available to me to feel and to taste and to have all that. It's just, there's a part of me that's dumbing that sense down or not tuning into it at the level that I could tune into it. And it's, it's kind of helping me to, for instance, like we're just talking about when you step outside your comfort zone, it doesn't have to be like you said, skydiving. Yeah. It can just be choosing to experience choose to experience your day to day in a completely new way than you've ever experienced it before. And for me, one of those little things is like taking the moment to savor my food and really allow the taste buds to open up so that the flavor of the gift of what it is that I am eating can almost like make love to my tongue and my mouth and all of that kind of stuff. Because one of the, that's what I, I, I think a lot of people are missing is they're not realized you can literally make love to your life. You know, and everyone's just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what the right word is to say, but it's just like, we're all just humanized. Human. Yeah. I mean, we're sleeping, yeah. but we're also just human. I feel like this is just like one of those things that the universe gave us that we got to figure out. And we'll figure it out on a macro level and a micro level. And I think this is a good time to tell the second part of my story, which is what happened after Dan died. Yes. Yes. Because it dovetails into exactly what you're saying. Like you're just, you're really hitting it, which is so, so after Dan died, I had this realization of you might die tomorrow being the most uh, freeing phrase that, that I had ever come across. And so at that time, what I did was I started a blog, right? Like this is 2015. I started a blog and the title was You Might Die Tomorrow. And I just started blogging about my realizations associated with inviting mortality into my life, feeling alive in a way that I had never felt alive prior to this. And I also decided at that time, I had always wanted to uh, travel for an extended period of time that had always mm -hmm. been a dream of mine. And I had been, I was married for like nine years. By the time Dan died, I had gotten a divorce and I was living on my own. So there was other life changes happening for me. And as soon as Dan, Dan died, I had this realization like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to quit my job at Google. And I'm going to travel around the world. That was 28 year old Kate's like highest expression of living. Like I might die tomorrow at that time. 
But listen to how this story goes, which is I did that. Okay. I went outside the comfort zone. I planned this whole thing. I saved my money. I was going to travel for a year. I ended up traveling for two years. It was a spiritual journey. It was totally like eat, pray, love, right? Like everything you'd think high moments, low moments, everything in between, but like that doesn't last forever, right? Like we're human life, life happens. And, um, I ran out of money. So I came back to Austin. I had to restart kind of societal life. I got an apartment. I got another corporate job. I went back to bills and traffic and all of that stuff. And even after my awakening, even after my spiritual two-year journey around the world, I did not readjust to regular life like a graceful swan. It was <laughs> it was messy. It was ugly. I got frustrated. I got stressed. I got depressed about all of just the things that we get frustrated, stressed, and depressed on in normal life. And it was at that time that I uh, also went through a breakup and I just was feeling really empty inside. And so I took the very last of my money <laughs> and I went to Plum Village, which is Thich Nhat Hanh's monastery. And I wanted to have just a week of meditation. One of the reasons I chose Plum Village was because I had literally read a couple of Instagram quotes from Thich Nhat Hanh and also because it was one of the cheapest meditation retreats I could find. It was like 450 euro for an all expensive, you know, full room and board and uh, for a week, 450 euro, right? It's a pretty good, all I had, and I had miles that I could get over there yeah. um, to do. And it was there that I realized probably the greatest lesson of my life, which is that it's really easy to feel alive when you're walking through the streets of Japan or climbing a mountain in, in India. But the true quest of being alive, the true quest of quote unquote happiness, I think is learning how to feel alive in the most ordinary moments of our life. And it was at Plum Village that we we did walking meditation there every day. And what a walking meditation is, if you don't know, is the way they practice it at Plum Village in the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh is you just slowly walk out in nature and you breathe and you walk. And Thich Nhat Hanh says that on a meditation walk, you can imagine a flower blooming beneath each one of your footsteps. And you're just, you're, you were saying like, what, what can we call being awake to the beauty of life? And I call it opening our eyes to the kaleidoscope of wonder that's in our existence all the time, but that we often just, we get caught up and we don't see it. And mm -hmm. for me, walking meditation reopened my eyes to, I can't always be quitting jobs and traveling and doing these big things. Like, sure, those are part of a good life, a vibrant life, right? Yeah. There will be calculated risks. And I encourage you to take those when the time feels right. But the true way to feel alive is to be able to pick up a leaf and to examine it and to look up at the sky and put your hand on your heart and allow a smile to creep across your face and just be like, oh my gosh, I'm alive. And to really feel that. And you talk about psilocybin and I also uh, adore psilocybin and what that can do. But to me, walking meditation and um, and even just taking what I call alive moments, that's a, that's a drug-free psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. So next time you're sitting in your house or on your porch and you look up at the sky and you have your dog at your feet or your kids are playing and you just suddenly look around and you have this sort of out of body, like, oh my gosh, this is my life. And it's so beautiful. I call that an alive moment. 
And to me, that's a drug-free psychedelic experience where we are awake to the beauty of mm -hmm. being alive. And if you start to become aware of those, you will increase their frequency and intensity in your life. And to me, that's, that's feeling alive. You know, mother nature is truly designed to reconnect us. And when you think about the different elements of, of, uh, our world, so earth just, you know, like even walking barefoot, you know, through a forest or on your lawn for that matter, or standing on a beach, you know, with the water, just lapping on your toes with the, each wave coming in. Uh, there's been times where I know I've been um, standing and just feeling the wind blow on my face and blow through my hair. And it's just the most peaceful and grounding experience just to reconnect with all the simple pleasures that this life has to offer for us. And I think that reconnection with all that earth has to offer us, even a fire, you know, like just staring into a fire, whether it's a candle or an actual fire, I prefer a fire, but you know, like it, depending on what you've got around, you know, there's, there's something very, uh, transformative that can happen by looking into a fire, even speaking into a fire, very shamanic things can happen for you. Exactly. And this idea that you, you know, really started to incorporate how to, feel alive in all of the small details of life. What has that done for you in how you feel about yourself? How, how has that shifted some of your relationships and also like your work, your purpose, like how has that all impacted those things? Yeah. So at first I was really uh, into the idea of studying the concept of mortality awareness. And that is a really big part of the book. My first book, You Might Die Tomorrow, it tells the story that I just told in a lot more detail. And um, and then it also explores the philosophical and psychological arguments for how thinking about your death can actually make you more present, more aware, more kind, more loving you know, all of these things that we we try to shoot for in life, but we're, we're given mortality, which we all share, it's universal. And yet it's the one thing that we typically deny and push away. And yet it's this profound key to so much of what we want. Mm -hmm. And, and I still firmly believe in that. But then as the years went on, right, like that, that, you know, my book was published in uh, 2020, as the years went on, and I continued studying obsessively all of this, I realized like, you know, thinking about death is one way to get to what I'm really even more passionate about, which is feeling alive. And there's a lot of ways that we can feel alive. One of them is thinking about death. Another one is what you just said, stand somewhere and let the breeze, let the wind go through your hair and, and put your arms out. Another way that we can feel alive is to truly experience and feel our pain and let let that flow through us. And when I got back from Plum Village and experienced walking meditation, I had already become, you know, a yoga and meditation teacher when I was on my big trip. I went to India. I was there for a month. I did that. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to be a walking meditation practitioner. So I started a walking meditation here in Austin and I've led hundreds of people on this walking meditation since then and also taught regular seated meditation. And one thing that I notice is that 
almost invariably everybody has at least here in the west we have a lot of guilt and shame associated with our meditation i don't know if you can you can identify with this but most people that i come into contact with they say oh i you know i meditate but i don't do it as much as i like to or should or i meditate but i'm not very good at it or they just think that they're bad meditators we think that we're bad meditators and so what i always ask people is i say hey okay you're thinking about seated meditation now, I ask them, and I'm going to ask you, listening, what is something in your life that when you engage in that activity, you seem to forget about time and a weight of your problems seem to lift temporarily from your shoulders? And what is something that you engage in? Maybe you feel a little bit of transcendence and you enter that flow state. So think about that. And maybe you have one or two or three items. A lot of, for me, vacuuming doing dishes, painting, singing. What are some of those for you, Nicole? Running is definitely one that I've, I've definitely expressed to my audience that it is definitely a form of meditation for me. Um, and it's because I enter some state of mind that I don't seem to access as easily. Like if I'm, you know, I could be doing that walking, but there's something about going into that state and I get so many downloads and so many, um, bursts of creative flow when I'm, uh, running. And so for me, that's one of them, uh, washing the dishes is actually Same. also <laughs> a form of meditation for me. There's something like, I just love having my hands in the soap and the water and just kind of doing this repetitive thing over where I can, you know, just my mind leaves the moment and it, go somewhere else. And it's not about like thinking about things it needs to do. It's, it's a different, it's a different place. So, um, and then also like the shower, I find the shower to be also a very meditative place for me. Uh, I think that, you know, meditation is a way that allows us to get out of our own way and frees up our flow energy to come in to help us move forward in areas that maybe we feel blocked and so those are areas like those three things particular are great avenues for me, mm. you know, um, that's beautiful. Well, and if for anyone who's listening and can identify with with any of those that I said, or the ones that Nicole said, and maybe you have ones that, that we didn't mention, I'm sure, I'm sure that you do. I want you and us to think about those as meditations. Because just like you said, Nicole, meditation is getting out of our own way. It's it's training ourselves to focus on one thing at, at a time. It's training us to feel peace. And all of those things that you just mentioned, the things that are for me, singing and painting, doing dishes also, those are my meditations. Those are my training to get out of my own way, to focus on one thing, to feel peace. And so if you can engage in those, those are your trainings. Mm -hmm. Those are your meditations. Anything that makes you feel alive, anything that makes you feel present. And not only are those training for meditation, and that proves to you also that you thought you're a bad meditator. Uh-uh. Mm -hmm. Actually, if you're getting downloads or if you're feeling present and blissful while you're doing dishes or running or whatever those things are, you're actually, whoever's listening, you're a great meditator. You just <laughs> didn't know it before. So mm -hmm. I want you to start thinking about yourself as a good meditator every single time you do those things. Um, I also want you to remember that when you engage in those things, that is one of your expressions of living your most vibrant life. And the more you do those things and the more you live in that mindset, that mindset will then bleed into your ordinary days. 
and you'll be better equipped to deal with the stresses of life. And you'll have moments where suddenly that mindset, that state of mind of, of bliss and presence just comes to you sort of involuntary, involuntarily or spontaneously. And so just like we can take like a psilocybin or a psychedelic occasionally to train our minds to enter that state these unique, what I call these forms of alive meditations, the dancing, the painting, the walking, the running, those are your way of also training your mind to just be in that state more and more until soon. You'll be in that state a lot of the time. And then you'll even have what you may have already experienced and what I've begun to experience, which is when you're in a state of pain, when you're on the floor crying, when you're in one of your darkest moments, you will still be feeling that pain. Absolutely. But you will also have an awareness of like, if I, one thing I like to think about is I, I believe that I love life. And I hope that if you're listening, you, you love life or you're on the path to learning to love life. But if I truly love life, that doesn't mean that I just love the blissful moments and the happiness and the joy. If I truly love life and appreciate being alive, that means that I also have to appreciate my pain. And I also have to see the value in those moments that I'm on the kitchen floor or the bathroom floor crying and feeling so out of sorts. And so, you know, the next level is when you're in those moments of pain, still feeling that pain, but also realizing this is part of the gift of being alive. And also this too shall pass, like all the positive and beautiful moments of our lives. Everything is ephemeral. Everything that is painful will also pass. And the reason that I bring that up and I'll end on this thought for this moment is that I went through a really deep depression last year, like the deepest depression of my life, I think, you know, I and it was it was horrible. I mean, I was having super dark thoughts of like, why am I here? Do I even want to be here? And some of the things that got me out of that was realizing that everything is will pass. The light will come again. Realizing that pain and darkness is part of the gift of being alive, even when it is so horrible and, and scary. And one of the ways that I got myself out of that was to force my mind <laughs> to look at the positives of life and to look at the beauty of life and to force myself to enter that kaleidoscope because sometimes it comes spontaneously mm -hmm. where we can look at the sky or look at a look at a leaf or look at something beautiful and be like this is beautiful and sometimes we have to turn a really big ship and be like I'm going to force myself to see the beauty of life and when we're in a depression oftentimes we're we're reprogramming reprogramming our brain to do that. And so if you're in that p moment right now where you're having trouble seeing the beauty of life and you're not able to hear what I'm talking about and what we're talking about, about living in that beauty of life, know that you can get there again. I promise you. Well, you know, you were talking about this, the, the pain. And one of the things that I, you know, what I've realized is there's a reason why so many people are feeling like, um, a diluted version of themselves or um, a shell of who they really are uh, or feeling very passionless. Like they're really out of touch with what lights them up. Uh, and the, the biggest reason that I can um, really see why that is, is because when it's our relationship with pain, it's, we need to reformat our relationship with pain. Obviously, it's a relationship of avoidance <laughs> for most of us. Uh, none of us really want to feel it, but 
you know, like you were saying, one of the gifts of this life is how much we can feel. And if we really want to feel the full breadth of joy and love and happiness and peace, we have to be willing to feel the breadth of loss and pain and darkness, you know, and really feel like what that is. And the reason why people are walking around uh, feeling very empty or feeling like they don't even know who they are anymore is because they've disassociated with so many parts of their own pain, which end up being fractals of some of the most potent parts of themselves. And the reason is because it wouldn't be so painful to you if you didn't love it so much or it didn't mean so much to you. And so one of the things that we have to do on this healing journey is to reignite the passion within us is to remember that the things that have hurt us so much and that we've because we don't know how to process it or because we didn't have the tools at the time, we had to just disassociate it, push it away, bury it somewhere in the past, hoping it'll stay there. You know, the truth is, is that what we have to do is we have to go back and find it because it's holding the keys to all your passion and your, your, your love for life, because those exactly. are the parts that actually mean the most to you. Exactly. Mm. Yes. And, and I think a lot of us get our fear of death mixed up with which death you know is scary right like there's always going to be some amount of fear uh but i think a lot of the reason many of us fear death is other than we're culturally programmed to in especially in the west right like deny it it doesn't exist it's never going to happen but i think one of the reasons is because we actually fear not living it's not that we fear dying. Like, you know, when you die, you don't really like you, you're gone. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and what we're really actually fearing. And because I, I say this from personal experience, I feared dying without having lived when it's funny that we fear that because that's within our control. Mm -hmm. Dying mm -hmm. is not, we're going to die. Right. Like in the stoic philosophy, the main tenet of stoic philosophy is focus on what you can control and disregard the rest. I spent that year in death anxiety trying to control my jet death, mm -hmm. something that I can't, can, can't really control beyond of course, the normal, yes. don't, don't run out of bear, wear your sunscreen, wear your seatbelt <laughs> kind of stuff. Right. Which I do absolutely endorse. Um, you know, what's far more in our control is living our most vibrant life before we die. Mm -hmm. And I think if we put our energy into that, we'll, you will find, we find, and I have found that the fear of death diminishes. And, you know, when I was writing my book, I had a couple of different editors and, you know, it's a personal development book and, uh, and my editors were personal development editors. And I got this feedback over and over again, like, well, you're not telling people how to live their most vibrant life. Like you need to put, uh, you know, a list, you need to have a prescription in there for it. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like I will give examples and, and I do give plenty of examples. And I have a list of, you know, what would you, what you might do if you knew that the end of your life was near and that's, that helps you, but truly it's different for every single person person. Yeah. And no. so I want to ask you to whoever, to everyone listening to think about what does living your most vibrant life look like? And if you need some motivation or some inspiration, imagine yourself on your deathbed. You can imagine yourself at the end of life and you are looking at 
you're looking back. And when you're on your deathbed, just like Steve Jobs said, the pride is gone. The worry about success is gone. The obsession with money is gone. The obsession with achievement is gone. And you're left with really that per that pure perspective of, of what really matters. And so if you're wanting to know what really matters to you in life, imagine yourself on your deathbed. Um, I have something that I teach called the deathbed gut check, which is if you suffer from, like me, procrastination, decision paralysis, overthinking, you can use this technique to help yourself make tough decisions in life. And the way you do that is when you are faced with a decision to maybe you're wondering if you should start doing something or you have a, a decision about your life or you're worried about maybe should I stop doing this thing in my life? What you can do is you can, and this just can take five seconds. You close your eyes, you imagine yourself on your deathbed and you do a gut check and you say, Hey, how would I feel if I chose option A? And then you observe that. How do you feel in your gut? Do you feel a lightness, a brightness, or do you feel kind of like a, a pit in your stomach, a tension? And then if you if that doesn't give you your exact answer, you can repeat that deathbed gut check with option B. And almost invariably, you can do that deathbed gut check, whether it's a decision at work, in your personal life, whatever, and you will get a sense in your gut of whether what's the clearest path for you away from that worry about money and success and all, and all of that other stuff that can cloud our judgment. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is so cool. You just gave the name to something that I did like in my twenties to understand. And I've taught this to some of my clients, but I your name is way fucking cooler. That <laughs> gut check. Okay. Like I love that. And it makes so much more sense. It's so tangible. It's so real. And what I, I remember at a very important juncture in my life, and this is a choice that literally changed the trajectory of my life. I am certain of it. Uh, I was 29 and I was living in Toronto and I had bought my first condo a couple of years prior. So I was living there. I had a job that I was doing well at, but I was like, oh, I really want to go live on a Caribbean island. <laughs> I was like, I'm kind of one of those people who's like, I don't want to wait till I'm retired to start living my life. I want to live my life now. And so I thought, you know, I have this opportunity and I, so I, I reached out and I applied for this job. I was at the time I was a massage therapist and, um, they hired me within a day. Like I had an interview the wow. next day I found out I was hired and I was like, Oh my God, that happened so fast. You know, which usually when things happen that fast, you know, you know, it's the right thing to do, but a little wrench got thrown into my plans. As soon as the owners of the spa that I worked for, which was one of the top spas in Toronto, um, the owners I was good friends with, and I saw him in the elevator because we lived in the same building. And he's like, Nicole, come on upstairs. I want to talk to you. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I'm in trouble, right? They just found out that I was going to be leaving. I had, I told them I'm going to be leaving. You know, this is what I'm doing. And, um, he said, we don't want you to leave. We want to offer you managerial position. Oh no. And I was like, don't do that to me because my whole mind from one of my early twenties, when I started was like, okay, I'm going to start off as a massage therapist. It's going to be a stepping stone into the healing path, you know, alternative health. And eventually I'm going to have my own business and my own spa. And so when he said this, it's like, oh man, this is like the next logical step for me to build my resume. Right. 
And to have that on my resume was, would be an extremely good thing. And I just thought, no, I was just, everything was so easy. Like, why did you have to do that? And so what I ended up doing in that moment, like when I was, when I was back to my uh, condo and I was sitting there and I said, okay, Nicole, imagine that you say yes to the managerial position. How does that make you feel? And I was like, okay, that makes me feel good. And I was like, okay, now imagine that you choosing that also means you can't go to the Cayman Islands and live down there and do the thing you want to do. How does that make you feel? And I was like, oh no, that's regret. Mm. That's regret. And then I was like, okay, now how do you feel? You go to the Cayman Islands everything feels good. Everything's like really happy. And now you've given up on the managerial position. How does it feel? And I was like, I don't feel the same regret that I did if I didn't go. And so literally that's the deathbed gut check. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's another layer of looking if you're having trouble, because a lot of times in our life, you, I mean, you had a beautiful experience and you were able to really tap into your intuition. That's really what that was, is that vision and that intuition. And, and also still a lot of us might get caught up in, oh, but this might be more money. And that's where, if you add that other layer of looking at it from the end of your life, looking back when money and, and acclaim and all of that doesn't matter so much, then, then it's even clearer and look at, and look at what you did. You know, you took the leap. I did. And it changed the entire course of my life because after working down there, I ended up quitting my job after a year and I took a year and a half sabbatical and I traveled around the world, did something very similar to you, you know, and I just like became a yoga instructor and I was like, let me go to Bali. And I did the whole eat, pray, love thing, you know, Yep. (laughs) but it gave me the foundation of all of my coaching that I do now. Everything came from experience. Like I'm sure like for you, and that was the right thing for me to do. And I, I think that's something that I naturally just do. And I didn't realize it until you kind of put it into those eloquent words of realizing that I'm constantly checking in with myself. Am I going to regret not doing this down the road? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to live like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, I I attribute that part of that um, ease to my Mars and Aries, (laughs) where I'm just like, I don't care. I'm just going to jump in head first. Like I'll figure it out when I get there. I'm okay with that. Not everyone's okay with that, but the deathbed gut check, I think for everyone who's listening, that is a phenomenal tool to have in your toolbox for making, even when it comes to, okay, big decisions for sure. I think that's really helpful. Um, but it's also helpful for even just the small stuff. Cause you want to live day to day, you know, like really have to start doing that. And I think this summer, particularly because like you, I went through a very difficult year last year, very mm-hmm. difficult. And I realized earlier this year, I was depressed and I hadn't been in that state since my mid thirties. And this was even, I think heavier This summer, I chose to live life in a way where I haven't been living it to its fullest. I'm like, you know what? You have all these opportunities now. I overcame the major obstacles that I needed to overcome. And it kind of put me in check to realize that even though from an outside perspective, someone may look at me and say, oh, wow, she's making all these big choices. She's doing the things that, you know, maybe I want to do. There were still things I wasn't doing on a day-to-day that I really 
for me, deep down, I wanted myself to be doing, but I wasn't yeah. choosing it, you know? And it's like, you know, we, we navigate life in all these different ways. I think I'm really good at making the big moves, but in the small moves, I kind of just let those slide by. And I was like, it's time to start, you know, letting the small moves have more of an impact. Mm. That's beautiful. And I think that brings up a really important point, which is when we think about living like you might die tomorrow or living your most vibrant life and living alive, a lot of the first thing that comes to our mind are these big changes, right? Like quitting a job or going on a big trip or skydiving or climbing Everest like Dan. When over the years, I encounter a lot of people who are like, oh, well, I can't quit my job because I have kids or I have, you know, whatever. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. My message and I mean, not my message, but what I what is useful to people is, yes, we can all use a little bit more courage to make those big changes in our life when they're when it's warranted and when there's time. But you bring up the other important point of that, which is living like you might die tomorrow. If you truly knew you were going to die tomorrow, you wouldn't board a flight to Patagonia. Mm -hmm. There's no time for that. What you would do is you would call the people that you love probably, you probably would spend some time and watch the sunset that day. You would really savor the sip of your tea. You would think back at the beautiful memories of your life. You would feel grateful to be alive for your last 21 hours or whatever long it was. And so, yeah, big, big calculated risks. Great. Use you might die tomorrow as motivation to do that. But also living like you might die tomorrow is those small, sweet, loving moments uh, where we're truly feeling alive. And, you know, if you, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, you would want to make sure that the people that you love knew that you loved them without a shadow of a doubt. So what's something that you could do today? What's a small act that you could do today to show love to someone in your life? Maybe it's a, I love you text message. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a little favor or a little gift or turning off the TV tonight to spend some real quality time with, with the people or person in your family. Those to me are great. Have, have the big risks, but to me, what makes up truly living alive are those small decisions. Just like you said, you're on the journey of Nicole, as am I. And so this idea of getting over the decision paralysis, the overthinking, you know, the constant, like, oh, what if, you know, going to all the worst case scenarios really can be mitigated through this simple deathbed gut check. And mortality awareness, right? Like I'm a person who procrastinate. I am like a world record holder procrastinator. It took me years to get out of my horrible marriage. I was in a not, you know, we were not meant to be together. We were married for almost nine years and we shouldn't have been married for the final four. And mm. for four years, I was like, should I, should I not? Oh my gosh, overthinking. Like, how am I getting financially? How is this going to work? And that's just one example of my world-class procrastination. I know some of y'all listening know exactly what I'm talking about. And when we have a deadline, when I have a deadline, boop, like, okay, I'm going to, if there was a deadline, like you have to get out of that marriage by this date, or this assignment is due by this date, or you have to have this appointment scheduled by this date. Suddenly, like I operate within that, remembering that we're going to die, remember, and that we don't know when, and that we're accepting that that's a natural part of being alive that's just a deadline that we're putting in place that can motivate us to live our most vibrant life, whether that is taking time to do our alive meditations or making a big change. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is like so important for everyone. Like, I love that idea of giving yourself a deadline and it doesn't have to necessarily be like this hard deadline, but it puts time into context. It kind of makes it a little bit more tangible because right now no one truly knows when they're going to die. And so that timeline is really up for anyone's best guess. But if you kind of decide like, okay, what am I willing to, what am I willing to compromise on? And what am I not willing to compromise on? Like, these are some of the hard questions that we have to ask ourselves when we're really looking at these decisions that are not, you know, well, I should say the making decisions on situations that are not, we're not living our best life. We're not happy. We're possibly compromising on too much and not realizing it because that is another, like, that is death. You know, that is like one of those slow death killers is staying in a situation um, or a state of being that you're just not happy with. Yeah. And And I will say that if you are struggling in being stuck in a situation that you're not enjoying and you need motivation or you are wondering like, yeah, I want to live a vibrant life, but I don't know what that means to me. Or you're like, yeah, I feel like I have a purpose, but I don't really know what that is. Don't worry about like ferociously trying to search to find that. Remember, this is something that I believe passionately, which is that one of the reasons that we're here and one of the ways that we can make the biggest impact on the world and those around us is by enjoying our life and by having a good time while we're here. And I think we often forget that. We think we have to work really hard and and we do in some ways, but, but by missing the enjoyment of life, we not only miss enjoying our life, which means that we might probably have regrets when the time comes that we're actually on our deathbed, but we also miss being that beacon of light for every single person around us. Since I've started living for the joy of being alive and recognizing that I don't know how long I have, but I'm going to have a good time and, and try to do my best while I'm here, I've realized that this is my one of my greatest ways to make a positive impact while I'm here, right? Like we are all, think about the last recipe that you cooked or the last nail place that you tried or the last book that you read or the last video that you watched online. Like most of what we do comes at the recommendation or suggestion or by seeing someone else wear that cool outfit and then you went out and bought those shoes, right? So much of, we are so affected by one another. And so that goes both ways. Other people are so profoundly affected by you and your presence and your expression of living. And so by enjoying your life, by chasing after your dreams, by having fun, by doing your alive meditations, by being your most weird, wild, and wonderful self, you're not only living your most vibrant life, but you are creating waves of inspiration that other people will see. And you're planting seeds in other people. They're going to be like, man, she's having a good time. She's being weird. You know, when you're at a party and it's maybe it's like a work party or something and everyone's kind of there and they have their little cocktail glasses and they're talking, well, what do you do for work? Yeah. And then somebody enters the room who's just kind of like looser and maybe more weird or says says something funny. And suddenly everyone's like, 
everyone kind of loosens up, you know, like we, that one person can up the weird quotient for everybody else. And so you can be that person by living your most vibrant life, by having fun, by playing funny pranks on people, by wearing weird clothes that maybe make you stick out, but make, make you feel more like yourself. You are giving everybody around you permission and inspiration to do the same. So if you're wondering, how can I make an effect on the world? Do I have to cure cancer? Do I have to start a nonprofit? Do I, sure, those are great, amazing things too, but don't discount that the way that you live your life is your greatest shot at transforming the energy and the lives of those around us. Because not everyone's listening, but everyone's observing. Exactly. And even the people that I've seen, you know, I had a friend who, when I started, you might die tomorrow. She just was, her mother had died some years prior and she was just like, how can you be putting a positive spin on like death is horrible. My mom died. It was a, you know, she died of cancer and it was not pretty. And she was just, she just didn't like this message of living like you might die tomorrow. She just couldn't understand how it could be positive. But I didn't let it veer me from my course. I would listen to what she had to say and I would gently try to plant seeds. But I didn't know. I felt like it was I was hitting a brick wall with her. And then <laughs> I'll never forget a couple years ago, she called me up and she's like, all right, what's your Venmo? I need to buy some You Might Die Tomorrow t-shirts. I need to get some stickers. My husband and I, we bought a van. I finally get You Might Die Tomorrow. I see how it's super motivating. Like, And so even when you're talking to someone and it seems like they're just completely rejecting your idea, you don't know in five, 10, 15 years, that seed that you planted might sprout in Germany. And even the person that you thought was the brick wall is suddenly calling you and wanting to drink the heck out of your Kool-Aid. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, if you're not making some waves, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> because then everyone's just too comfortable with it. Like that's where, you know, like you're going to make some of the biggest change is where people are really uncomfortable with what you're doing. And I say that with, you know, obviously within reason, um, but like that is really how it works. And so I think, you know, you being an example is a huge blessing to the world. And I know that my audience has picked up so many golden nuggets from you today and, and everything that you shared. Being the example is so important because you could literally say to your friend or anyone else for that matter over and over and over again on why it will work or why it's good for someone. But at the end of the day, actions always speak louder than words and people want to see results. And when people start seeing results that they don't have, they want to know what's that secret sauce? How come I don't have that? You know, and that's kind of how we're wired. So by people being able to just be who they are, shine in their natural light, you know, that is really truly how we change the world. And so you don't change the world necessarily by um, as much as, you know, giving a good speech or saying the right thing. Absolutely. There's power behind our words, but there's a much deeper impact behind the observation of people just watching when you don't know. And that is what's powerful because people want to see how you are when you don't know that they're watching you. And I think that was one of the most powerful moments for me 
when I was down in um, Costa Rica during my sabbatical and I decided to take a yoga teacher's training after only knowing yoga for like four months <laughs> and being extremely inflexible. But one of the girls and I, we would go down to the beach every morning after a morning yoga session. Before we go to breakfast, we go straight down to the beach in our bikinis. And we would put at the time I had a little iPod and I uh, had it, you know, like this armband and I, my didn't have wireless headphones back then, but we go in and of course it's on the Pacific coast. So the waves are really big and we just go in there. I would play Lady Gaga, just dance. And I would just be in there for 15, 20 minutes with it on repeat. And I just be dancing in the waves, the waves would be hitting me. I see people watching and I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm having a good time. And this is just, and this is literally for me. And it was this little ritual that my girlfriend, Brianne and I would do. And she, I don't know what song she was listening to, but later people would come up to me throughout the month that I was there and say, God, you look like you're having so much fun down there. And I'm like, I am, I am having so much fun. How come you're not doing it then? You know, if you want to do it, you can totally do it. But it's like you said, there can people who can walk into the room and just shift the vibration. I use, you've seen it where someone just will go on a dance floor and that no one's dancing and they're just going to break out into some weird ass dance that just makes everyone smile. Like, wow, I wish I was doing that right now. I just don't have the courage. And I think that's the epitome of like, and the essence of everything that you've been kind of talking about is like, just live, just live and dance. Like no one's watching. You know, because I think that the power behind our joy, when it's truly coming from this authentic place of just filling your own cup, that is what people need to see more of. Yeah, just filling our own cup and then it spilleth over creating waves of impact that we will never know the full extent of. You'll never know how many people you affect. And I encourage us all to remember that we have the option when we enter a room, we don't have to be the most outgoing person, but we all have the opportunity to either be a thermometer or a thermostat. So you can ask yourself, especially at work, this happens, right? Like maybe we enter a meeting and the energy is kind of low. And a lot of times we will just match our energy. We're the, therm- we're the thermometer. That's what a thermometer does. It just rises to the temperature of the room. A thermostat, however, sets the tone of the room and then everybody else rises to meet, all the air rises to meet it. And so I think we just also need to remember. And what I try to remember is that we have so much power. Mm-hmm. We have so much power to affect those around us, to set the energy in a particular room, to set the energy in our own lives, in our own families. And I urge us to not underestimate the power that we have to make really radical change in the world just by being just by being ourselves and just by wielding that power with with grace, love and joy. Yeah, yeah. Let your little inner child out and play. Yeah, let that freak flag fly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Please let my audience know if you've got anything going on, if they can get in, how they can get in touch with you, and what you've got to offer um, them if they they do want to work with you. So right now I am working on a big art installation. Uh, I'm about to leave to go to Burning Man, and uh, this will be my 
Art's third art installation at Burning Man. So I encourage you to check that out. You can visit my website, katemanser.com. My book is called You Might Die Tomorrow. It's available on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Bookshop, Target, all of those places. And um, it will inspire you and knock your socks off to live your most vibrant life, whatever that means to you. And whatever you heard today, all of these amazing nuggets, all of Nicole's beautiful nuggets, just please remember to enjoy our lives. Have fun every single day, even when things are hard, even when things are challenging. Don't forget to watch the sunset at every opportunity. That is truly the stuff that life is made out of. And it's been a pleasure to, to connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. Nicole. Oh, thank you, Kate, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to, to have you on. And I always love connecting with new guests and you have definitely not disappointed at all. You've raised the bar. So thank you so much. For snap, being snap, here. snap. <laughs> yeah. And to my audience, uh, if you are, are interested, if you've been moved by Kate's story, I highly suggest uh, grabbing her book and heading over to her website and just checking out more of her stuff. And don't forget, Next week is the Lionsgate portal and this will air on the 88 portal. So I have a special treat for you. I have someone who's coming on to talk about numbers and all that great stuff. So you won't want to miss that episode. I hope to see you there in the uh, live chat when we premiere the video on YouTube. Guys, I love you. Have an incredible week. Live to your highest potential. Take all of Kate's advice. Do the deathbed gut check. And I think you're going to see some massive transformations, even from the small little moments that you enjoy. I love you guys. And I'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for joining me for another show on the Enlighten Up podcast. I love you guys so much for all of your continued support. So remember to raise your vibe, find your tribe and be open to the infinite possibilities held in the mysteries that surround us all. Thanks again for sharing the show with your family and friends. And if you're new to the show and you need to find out more information about me, please head on over to my website, NicoleFrolic.com, where you can join my newsletter. And please follow me on Instagram, Telegram, and YouTube. Keep your light bright and I'll see you next week.